If you may recall, the last Sunday in June, our lectionary reading was from Luke 9. And it began by saying, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Each Sunday since then, in the Gospel of Luke, we have been on this journey to Jerusalem with Jesus. We have been invited into each stop along the way. We have been invited into his conversations with his disciples. We have been invited into his tense interactions with the Pharisees. We've been invited into stories about Jesus and stories Jesus tells. We have listened and learned from his teachings. We have listened and learned from his parables. We have learned what it takes to inherit eternal life, love God, and love neighbor. We've been invited to identify with Martha or with Mary, to stand beside the Samaritan, the priest, or the Jew left for dead. In recent weeks, we have learned the cost of discipleship, leaving possessions and family behind. We have learned the depths of God's love in the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Last week, we entered into the first of two parables about money. In discerning last week's parable of the dishonest manager, Mother Whitney gave us a lot to consider about what we have been given and how we are stewards of those things that have been entrusted to us. We continue the journey to Jerusalem. The journey this week hasn't covered any physical ground. We're still in the same place in the same setting. After Jesus gives the parable of the dishonest manager, he teaches his disciples that money is a trust from God and is not a personal possession. The Pharisees, the lovers of money, ridiculed Jesus over his words. Jesus turns to the Pharisees and launches into the next parable, the gospel lesson we heard today, the rich man and Lazarus. Now, it's hard to imagine a bigger contrast drawn as an illustration of the rich and the poor. This parable describes vividly the polar opposite lives of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man is very rich probably royalty given his purple clothing and fine linen, his daily sumptuous feasting and life in a gated community. He was living a life of luxury. Lazarus is poorer than poor. He keeps company with the dogs who compassionately lick his open sores. He's lying on the ground outside the rich man's house with hopes of getting scraps from the table if he can fend off his newfound companions. It is such a stark contrast in such extreme that it's hard for any of us to see ourselves either as the rich man or as Lazarus. Most of us do not know that kind of money, and most of us have not been that down and out. I want us to think about this parable as choices we make in our lives in the here and now. And although this parable is about money, I would like to draw us into another focal point 
that does not depend on these extremes. Something more subtle, something we may be able to see in ourselves. I know I can. Notice in the story the proximity of the two characters. Lazarus is right outside the house. If you're coming and going, you cannot miss him. We don't know how long he's been there, but we can assume it's been a pretty long time. And in the time that he's been there, the rich man hasn't noticed him. He does not see him. He either looks right past him or ignores him. As the parable moves on to the afterlife, the rich man looks up and sees Abraham with Lazarus at his side. He calls out to Abraham to have Lazarus cool his tongue, looking right past Lazarus as he does, dismissing Lazarus. Sometime around 2004, I had just redeployed from the Middle East. I needed a little bit of downtime. And so when I saw an opportunity to go on a weekend retreat with my Episcopal church, I jumped at the chance. I thought it would be a good way to get away, sit by a lake in a lawn chair, and veg for a couple of days. It was actually a little bit more than I bargained for. There were some clergy there that made themselves available for private confession. I don't know what I was thinking, but I signed up for some time to do just that. Private confession. It was my first. And yes, the Episcopal Church has private confession. You find it on page 449 of your Book of Common Prayer. And now, I'm not a list maker, but there are times that I'm forced into making lists. When there's just too much that I have to do and I can't make my way through it without writing it down. And so I made a list before going to confession. As we began, I pulled out the list. I mean, it was my first confession after all. And then I began. Father, forgive me. I have squandered the inheritance of your saints and have wandered far in a land that is waste. I confess to you and to the church that when I was three, I, and I listed a couple of things for the priest, when I was four, I, and I listed a couple more things, when I was five, I, this was good. I'm flying through the list, checking off all the easy stuff. Then the priest stopped and asked me how old I was. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, you know, Marilyn, we don't have time to go through the next 37 years of your life. Yep. So he said, Marilyn, why are you here? Silence. I'm now looking around the room for an escape route. More silence. There was no escaping. And I know he was going to be able to outlast me in the silence. So I better get along with it. And this is going to be hard. So I looked at the hard thing on my list. And this is what I told him. 
I told him that I can look past people, that there are times when I don't have patience for some people, so I dismiss them, that the people that I don't think can keep up, it's mainly because I don't consider myself that high speed, so when they can't keep up with low-speed me, I move past them. I told him I can be dismissive. I can dismiss people. I confessed with true repentance. From that, I know the wideness and depth of God's mercy. As we look back at the parable, isn't this what we see in the rich man? But the rich man never saw it in himself. He didn't give attention to anything that didn't already occupy him. His clothes, his house, his meal, all his luxury. At least not until it was too late. And then he doesn't argue with Abraham about his own fate. But he requests that Lazarus be sent to warn his brothers. Abraham tells him, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. But the rich man pleads, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. He is telling them that the answer is in scripture. It has already been given to them. So they know what it is to choose between life and death. They know what it is to choose between life and death. They don't need to be warned again. And as the steward in last week's parable took action just in the nick of time to hold on to his stewardship, this parable, being spoken to the Pharisees, tells them that there is still time for them to change their ways. The good news is that this is true for us. This parable is about living our lives in the here and now, to pay attention to those things around us and the people around us. It's about choices we make in our lives. And these choices we make in life are important in our response to God's love and being God's elect. St. Augustine of Hippo tells us in his book, The City of God, that we have two choices. We can orient ourselves in two ways. We can turn our will toward God or away from God. We have been given eternal life through Jesus and the cross. It is up to us to choose it to turn our will toward God, to bring about the kingdom of God. The God of love created us out of his love to love. It is what we were made for. It is who we are and whose we are. This journey we've been on with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke since he set his face to go to Jerusalem has been a lot. There's been so much on this route. There is so much. It's actually driving me to make a list. Will you join me in making that list? I'm going to give this list a title. 
how I choose to live my life. I choose to, number one, to love God as God loves me and to love my neighbor. Number two, to be generous and tithe from what I have. Number three, to be a good steward of all the earth and over everything for which we have dominion. Number four, to live fully in my St. Stephen's community, giving my talents to sustain our lives and our ministry together. I'll let you fill out the rest of your list with the things that this gospel lesson has evoked in you. Perhaps some of you can identify with me and the rich man. You've been dismissive. Dismissive maybe of a co-worker or a subordinate or maybe somebody that you love. Perhaps some of us identify with the rich man's brothers and the Pharisees who have, have to be reminded of Moses and the prophets. Or perhaps you have been broken and have found redemption in God's love. Or perhaps your hearts have been closed to the things that don't already occupy your time. Take your time in making your list. And unlike my easy three-year-old confessions, these are the hard ones. The ones that are not easy just to cross off and move on. They require a lot of us and a lot from us. They require a deep faith and they require a trust in God. Have your hope in your list. This is where God is met. By God, life was given, is being given, and will be given. Turn our will toward God. Make active and courageous choices to affirm the existence of our lives and the lives of those around us. Amen.